For more than 25 years, Atlanta has tuned into my straightforward financial advice. I'm Dr. Gene Hensler, and this is Money Talks, Atlanta's longest-running and most respected money show on radio. My staff and I will give you fact-based, no-nonsense answers to your financial questions. To have your questions answered on the air, send them to me, Dr. Gene at Hensler.com. That's D-R-G-E-N-E at H-E-N-S-S-L-E-R.com. This broadcast of Money Talks originally aired Saturday, September 15th, 2018. The only thing we have to fear... The economic health of this nation has been... ...for essential economic freedoms. The excessive decline... Greed. ...in the dollar... ...it's a late rally on Wall Street... ...too big to fail... ...growing the economy... ...growing the economy... It's amazing what's been going on with the economy. Welcome. Welcome. This is Money Talks. Good morning. Welcome, fam. You're listening to Money Talks, Atlanta's longest-running, most respected money show on the radio. I'm Troy Harmon here today with K.C. Smith. Morning, Troy. Howdy. K.C. is a managing associate in the Hensler Financial Planning and Implementation Department. Uh, K.C. holds the CFP. What else, Casey? I, That's I'm it. Trying. You're, That's you're, you're oh, not selling me short. <laughs> That's all there is to it. Oh, sorry, Casey. Well, I, I, I used thought to look up more. to you a lot yeah. more than that, but, uh, you know, hey, CFP is a good designation. You also have a master's degree. I do have a master's degree. About that. Yeah. That's true. And uh, the other voice that you might have just heard is none other than Nick Antonucci. Nick the man Tanucci. That's no? a new one. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, Whatever you we'll want to go with. Hey, we'll just name Detroit you just opened the show with... What up, fam? No, he said. Yeah, I said what up. I said it wasn't, good morning. It wasn't what's what up, fam, though, because I was going to correct you and say if you're going to, you know, be young and, and use the lingo, what up, fam? But I think you said what's up, fam. Did I, I geeked it up? I don't, I don't know. remember. We'll have to we'll have to review the tape. Right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, um, I'm Blaise trying to further review. I'm trying to uh, trying to make myself more like a millennial. I haven't grown a beard yet. I do not own a Jeep, but I'm going to go a fine shopping job, this though, weekend. Troy. And quit shaving any time now, and uh, I'll look millennial in no time. You know, I saw this thing the other day. It was like a, a fake man bun. I've seen those. Uh, if you got a fake we should man, get that for you for Christmas. I think that would be uh, a, you know what? that would be very appropriate. A beard, a jeep, and a fake man bun, and I am a millennial at least. Where to the state of the market? <laughs> Show them what a young firm we are. Yeah, state of the market. That's uh, where we invite all of our clients to come and listen to us talk about what's going on in the market, other various things. But uh, we don't have one of those scheduled at the moment, so. Um, I got plenty of time, I guess, to buy my fake man bun. So you might have enough time to grow one on your own. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then there's that. Um, I might have enough time to grow a beard on my own, but I don't know about a man bun. I don't. I just. Uh, I don't know. If Stick you, with the stash, man. The stash is hip. Stash it is, is classic. Is it? Yeah. All right. Sounds good. Uh, so we got uh, decent market. We're still in the longest ever bull market. We are. Um, we have not seen any sort of a correction. Uh, it, it's news been a good week. Still pretty good. It's been a good week. We're up about one percent. Um, you know, almost to the close of, on Thursday. A lot of the market upside, I feel like, especially today, has been driven by the, you know, the rumors that trade talks are going to be opened up again between the U.S. and China. Right. So optimistic on perhaps maybe all those tariffs not hitting. We see some of our more traditional friends, friendly countries, I guess you could call them, uh, who've, who've, we've kind of worked out the details on, on some of that stuff. 
with, uh, right, Europeans. Sure. Uh, to some degree, Canadians. Um, I know we're still kind of trying to um, recharacterize the uh, NAFTA, um, you know, so so there's still some, some talk of trade Yeah, and it's, uh, it seems issues. to be back and forth every week. You never know what the next week's going to bring. But, you know, despite – Despite the uncertainty, the market's powered forward. We're up 10% year-to-date. Yeah, uh, 0.95 on the past week, which is uh, pretty significant. If you look just in the last week, telecom, uh, uh, everybody's dog for the last year at least, 2017, saw uh, saw telecom just get hammered. Uh, it's up almost 3% this week. It's got itself back to about even on the year. So uh, It's pretty yeah. interesting. I'm not really sure what's behind that move, especially because when I think telecom, I think, for the most part, pretty stable companies, right? Mm-hmm. Dividend sure. payers. They are, sure. Um, and just, then you, you just look limited at something. growth. They're limited yeah, growth. Yeah, but like, unlike, I mean, not, not, not unlike, unlike utilities. Exactly. Yeah. But utilities for the week are down a quarter of a percent. Yeah. Um, year to date, though, they're still the number four performer. Good performance out of them. Yeah, um, I see financials are in the basement for the week, down almost 1%. What do you think's behind that? It's almost always the yield curve. Yield curve, yeah. So and You've uh, got the spread between 10s minus 2s at 22 basis points. We've seen it a little lower a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. It was a little worse than this. Uh, it rallied uh, some last week, and then uh, you know we see the 10-year actually outstripping the 2-year the a little bit over the last few days. So uh, why do we watch that so closely again, Nick? Well... You know, it's said that when you see the yield curve invert, so short end rises higher than than the, the long end of the curve, that it's a signal of a recession in the well, tw- next 12 to 18 months. Something like that, 6 to um, 18. Yeah. And we haven't seen that yet, so we're by no means ringing the warning bell. No. We're teetering, though. No, we're yeah, yeah we, we are close. And But like I said, it's it's not like when the yield curve inverts, it's an imme- you're immediately No, it's not going to happen recession. the next day yeah. by any means. But So what what are some things that might cause the yield curve to invert. Well, oh, yeah. I think what's different right now is you what's going on with the Fed. This is this is unlike any other. Well, time we've that never we've seen been quantitative in. tightening, and that's one of the things that uh, I mean. This is historical. We've never had to unwind from quantitative easing. Some folks are calling it quantitative tightening. Basically, the Fed is trying to get its balance sheet back in order, uh, allowing the bonds, um, both Treasury and uh, and mortgage-backed securities that it bought during 2008 and right. nine allowing some of those to mature and roll off of its balance sheet, which uh, does tend to have that uh, that effect of allowing the longer end of the yield curve to go to a higher Absolutely. interest rate. When you think about it, you're not continuing to invest those proceeds back, you know, right. continue it, to buy bonds, drive prices higher. Right. Basically, you can think of it as less demand in that space. So, uh, you know, the big buyer that was in the in the middle of it, our U.S. government, uh, is no longer out there buying those treasuries. So, um, you know, limited demand does what the prices usually makes them fall, makes the, the yields go up. But they, it, they're, uh, we would have expected yields to potentially go up by a significant amount more. Um, sure. But they really haven't done it. And, and something that I don't feel like gets a lot of coverage in, in you know, financial media is the unwind itself. If, sure. you, if you look over the last month, August 2nd through September 5th, the Fed's balance sheet has uh, decreased by $47 billion. Since the program began October of last year, balance sheet has shrunk by $252 billion. Yeah. And in October, next month, we're going to hit you know cruising speed on the unwind, basically $50 billion per month right. rolling off the balance sheet. So it might – I mean it, it kicks in. That's about as far as they're going to go, right? They're going to continue yeah, that's, to let $50 billion roll off it. until they have to do something else. Uh, and, and I'm sure that it's data-dependent. They'll always say that uh, their moves are data-dependent. But um, in the short term, uh, end of this month, we're expecting a, a rate 
increase. Yeah, so we're at one and three quarters, two percent Fed funds rate right now. All right, should uh, bump to two to two and a quarter. Ninety-seven percent likelihood that that happens in September. Like, yeah, two to two and a quarter. Are they ever going to go back to just making it one rate instead of this range of two know. to it, two and a quarter? Zero, Why not give them the flexibility? When we right? hit zero, <laughs> they didn't want to say it was truly zero. It was zero, zero, zero to five basis points. Yeah, right. So, but then, then December, there's a high likelihood, about a what, 72 percent likelihood that there's another sure. our fourth one in yeah. December, which would in, bring in the 2018. So if they if they do raise, let's say they they raise in September, do you think that's enough to push the yield curve to invert? Maybe it's getting close. It, it seems like we're I feel like it, be... it gets priced in ahead of time. It's it's not Probably. like that happens and then all of a sudden you see this move. Yeah. Typically, especially like this, it's not going to be a surprise right. when it happens. Right. So I feel like to to a large extent that's baked into where you are right now. Yeah, I mean, when you're talking about 97.5%, which is what our our uh, indicator is at the moment, um, you know, this is uh, uh, spoken about a lot. Casey, you asked what makes it invert um, the Fed, usually. Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, you know, not only is that the, you know, we look at various other things. Uh, some, of the, some of the others um, our unemployment, and we got awesome employment situation numbers last week, um, 201,000, is that right? Yeah, 201,000, better than the consensus expectations. We did have a, a downward revision to the previous two months of data combined, Which were about 50,000. Right? Uh, the previous month was, I, July was, I believe June was a decent number. Yeah. Um, nonetheless, revision isn't great, but the headline number, 201,000, was good, above expectations. I think... The, the the brightest spot on here is that you saw av- average hourly earnings um, show year-over-year growth of 2.9%, and that's the fastest pace we've seen yeah. in some time. And this has, for a while, been the part that the Fed continues to say, oh, you know, the labor market's tight. Wage growth is coming. Wage growth is coming. So we are starting to see a little bit of momentum pick up in that. Yep. But, you know, when you consider where inflation is – 2.9% wage yeah. growth, and you have what usually C- drives, CPI of, what, 2.7? Yeah, what usually drives inflation higher? It's quite often wage growth. Wage growth. Wage growth. Yeah. yeah, that's usually where it starts. So uh, we're starting to see, you know, a little bit of pressure there, but the the uh, unemployment situation, 3, 3.9% still, yep. uh, still very solid. Uh, employment situation looks good. Um, and, and then the other thing is, Valuation in the financial markets is is another one of those things, and you know all systems at the moment uh, are are looking decent. We're not uh, we're yeah. not in any spot where we would start ringing the bell, but uh, we are definitely and keenly aware of where the situation is. It feels feels. Kind of like where all systems go economically, the financial markets are yeah, cautiously optimistic, yeah. maybe you know. But I, yeah, we're still well. We got to be near on. near the top of the market, don't wouldn't you think? I mean, we well, could have said that five years ago, probably. Of course, but yeah. I mean, uh, with all the indicators that we're seeing now, I mean, the the economy is starting to pick up for once. I mean, the economy's been good all along, but it's we're starting to see these indicators that might cause us, give us some pause in the markets. What's going to be interesting to see is as we roll into Q3, how earnings season is, and then really watching Q4 where comps get much more tough. Uh, you know, I, th- I think yeah. that's where you're going to see kind of where we really, really are. Really, first quarter 2019 is the one that I keep thinking is, is going to be the, the delineator. Guys, let's take a real quick break. When we come back, we're going to flesh out a dog of the week, and uh, we'll have some financial answers to your questions. So stick around. You're listening to Money Talks. Time for the dog 
Dog of the Week this week is the foul weather brought to us by Hurricane Florence. That was a little abrupt. Wasn't yeah. The music just going absolutely dead. Uh, anyway, uh, the foul weather, but uh, I, I think it brings up a really interesting story uh, reading this week, and I noticed that uh, CNN has reported that um, FEMA actually uses something that they call the Waffle House Index. You guys ever seen that? Don't Might have seen it on the news last night. Yeah, so uh, I think this started back in 2004. Uh, FEMA has decided that it's important or it's interesting, and since hurricanes tend to affect the southeastern United States, I guess it actually works to their advantage. But uh, um, September in the southeast can almost always be counted on for some soggy weather and sometimes stiff winds off of a hurricane this year. Uh, Florence is is making news this weekend, in fact, uh, lashing North Carolina, South Carolina. A lot of folks have uh, evacuated might be in the listening earshot of our radio show. If so, uh, we welcome you. Hopefully you can hunker down for a little while and uh, go back home to to, uh, limited damage uh, from the winds and floods. But anyway, uh, so what they do is uh, FEMA drives toward the the scene of the uh, foul weather and uh, as they do, they take note of waffle houses. Uh, they will determine whether or not the lights are fully on. If that be the case, then all systems are go, and they keep going toward the epicenter, if you will, of the storm. Uh, if they get to a place where waffle house has uh, a limited menu, then they know, uh, you know, it's kind of a warning sign. If they ever get to one that's closed because they are open 24/7, no matter whether it's uh, Christmas, Easter, whatever holiday you might want to think about where most commercial enterprises are closed, Waffle House is still open. So uh, it's it, you, you got to love this if you're the business owners or, uh, you know, somebody that has created such a thing where you have an index named after you because of sure, your reliability. You're so reliable that if you're not open, you know it's yeah, things you know are bad. bad. Well, they take it a little step further, and they say that uh, when they find that the Waffle House is open, they know that the community is is in the process of rebuilding. Uh, people are there. Uh, they're hungry. They're I mean, you know, quite often they can't serve themselves. So, you know, if the Waffle House can take care of it for them, then they'll go eat out and uh, and try to try to rebuild or whatever it is that they're trying to do. Just thinking local stories here. I know anytime we have any sort of snow or, or wintry weather and the city inevitably shuts down, it seems, there's always Waffle Houses open. And yeah. you always see on the news that this Waffle House was, was open to feed the customers. and Yeah, or feed first responders. They, uh, Absolutely. They quite often are, yeah. are there, and they serve an awesome purpose. Uh, but, you know. It's if, like the if, post office. Or yeah. rain, or wind, or sleet. Right. Yeah. Or, or, or uh, hurricane. Scattered, scrambled, and you know, scattered, smothered, and covered. You know, you got to dice topped, chunked. Yeah, we can go on and on. I'm getting hungry here. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Anyway, I just really think it's an interesting story about business. Uh, not only are they a household word in the southeast, but uh, uh, bigger than that, it's a it's a pillar of the community. Yeah. Yeah. Who, who would have thought? Good for them. But, uh, yeah. Anyway, I, th- I thought it was an interesting story. Nick, we wanted to backtrack a little bit and uh, catch some of the other economic news that we uh, missed this week. Yeah, we touched on the employment situation, which was actually last Friday. Um, right. So kind of rolling into what we got this week, first piece of data out was wholesale trade, where we saw inventory build, picking up a little bit of speed, inventory stockpiles rose 0.6% in July. Basically, what I make of this in short is, you know, consumers are growing more confident in the economy. Otherwise, you wouldn't have these wholesale well, inventories 
you know, yeah. piling up. Yeah, that can usually go one of two ways. You see inventories stack up. It's either that businesses believe in growth going mm-hmm. forward or that the consumer is slowed down and the inventory is stacked up because right. it didn't move well. In this case, we believe that it's on the growth side. So uh, good news. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and then Wednesday, got a couple of data points out. We got the weekly MBA mortgage application survey. Uh, saw the overall index fall 1.8%. Refinancing decreased 5.9%. Purchase activity increased 0.9%. Yeah, it's a little bit different that we'd have some growth this time of year. When school's back in session, usually in purchases, it slows down. Yeah, yeah it, it, it definitely slow. does. And not really not a big concern here. It's a weekly number. Yeah. Um, as, as rates move higher, too, you expect to see somewhat of a drag here. In purchases, no right. doubt. Yeah, and refinancing, refinancing too. too. Who in yeah. the world's refinancing? Yeah, you're, you're you way late to the game, but... Yeah, but I mean, if your situation has improved, uh, who knows? Maybe maybe credit quality wasn't such that you could borrow and, and lower your uh, borrowing costs. So, uh, good news either way. PPI, this is a producer price index. Yeah, first uh, of two inflation data points we had this week. Fell a little bit. Yeah, it was, it was a surprise. Bit. Missed the mark. Uh, 2.8%. I think expectation was. 2.9 or where it was last Two, yeah, month. Yeah, 2.8% year on year basis. Right, right. right. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It's been actually leading the CPI uh, significantly higher, and we did get news on CPI this week as well. Yep. Uh, it was up 0.2 percent in August. Uh, Puts us 2.7% year over year, and 2.2% uh, if you look at the core, which strips out food and energy, considered the more volatile components yeah, so of it. So about 0.1% lower on both of those. I think right. maybe even a little bit more. Uh, 2.9, I think, was our last month indicator on CPI. So uh, inflation is out there. It's still above uh, the Fed's target of 2%. Well above it. Uh, but it does seem to have pulled back a little bit. I wonder how much of this might be all the news on uh, on trade issues and uh and a, a consumer that, while it's still the numbers on the consumer is still showing very a, a lot of strength, uh, they have pulled back just a little bit in the last week or two. Right, you certainly can't can't attribute it to to fuel prices or anything like that because we're still you know pretty close to seventy dollars a barrel on energy, uh, on oil rather. One thing I want to touch on from Wednesday, the Fed's beige book right. survey. Looks pretty strong. Uh, gains in Dallas were brisk, and growth in Philadelphia, St. Louis, Kansas City were below average. But all in all, you saw economic activity expanding at a moderate clip. So, uh, yeah. you know, Decent generally news. it was a good por- good report. Yeah, uh, I mean, like we talked in the first segment, we, uh, you know, we've we've been watching economic situation is still just strong. Uh, you know, everywhere you look, especially when people are employed uh, and they have wage increase. What do you think their their likelihood to spend is going to be? It's it's a, a whole lot better than if it were the other situation where their you know unemployment was higher and uh, wages were contracting. Or yeah, and you, you can see that in, in indicators like retail sales, which have been really strong. So yeah. the, the consumer does appear very confident. So and the, the economy is is pretty strong, and we are starting to see some indicators that might point to. You know, if if we get if if we get an inversion, I guess that's not a foregone conclusion at this point right. in, in the O curve. But uh, what point do we start to worry? Well, slowdowns don't occur, as Nick said. Usually, it's somewhere between I think he said 12 and 18 months. It's usually a little. It could be a little shorter than that, but uh, uh, maybe six to 18 months after you see an inversion, that you start seeing uh, significant uh, decreases in economic growth. And you want uh, to look at the employment situation too. You that know, is the, important. The, the employment situation looks great right now. You haven't started to see 
Um, jobless claims pick up. You want right. to watch that moving average. If you start to see that, it's it's kind of ringing yeah. another bell. Yeah, so, the consumer starts, you know, their their confidence starts waning, and uh, we're a we're a uh, economy built on consumption. Well, and you would say that the the market a market downturn would normally precede a recession, right? Yeah, the market Wouldn't, will talk see, before that. So uh, are, are, we're not thinking that that was going to happen this year, but no, no, maybe no. we'll see end I, of next year or yeah, something like at that. The, at the earliest, we okay. might see it in the next year. And, of course, you know, there's other indicators as far as valuation. Uh, the, the one indicator that we look at most closely is uh, it's like the inverted P.E., so the earnings divided by the price, which is uh, 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 earnings yield, right. uh, minus CPI, which came back a little bit. So, so falling from 2.9. Yeah, and that gives you a little room there for falling that. Falling from 2.9 to 2.7 actually is a benefit. It's, uh, you know, in, uh, in a nutshell, it's the real earnings yield. So it's the after inflation earnings yield on the right. S&P 500 that we watch so closely. If it ever falls below 2% on a six-month average basis, uh, or below 1.5%. The 2% mark is kind of a warning. Uh, the 1.5% is uh, get your kids out of the street, if you will. Yeah, yeah. all right. So uh, anyway, uh, we've got a situation we want to talk about this week uh, concerning withdrawing funds to purchase a home. Casey, I, I guess we could probably say this in a word, but we've got a lot to talk about uh, and uh, if you want to, you want to go ahead and lay out. We got Blake and Carrie who are looking for uh, a purchase of their first home with proceeds from Blake's mom's estate. Yeah, exactly. Blake and Carrie uh, trying to purchase their first home. They um, they have some assets now because of the the mother's passing. So there's a, an estate situation. The most of the assets, however, about five hundred thousand, they're all tied up in retirement accounts. Um, you know, but they've got some, you know, the, the money from the estate is not really accessible at this point. So they're trying to, they found the perfect house. They've, they've got a bid on it. They won the, the bid. So now it's a matter of how do I pay for this thing? They will have the money to pay for it once the estate settles. But at this point, they're kind of in that, that, uh, that period where they need some money to bridge the gap. So they're wondering, do, can crunch. they, can they borrow in effect from their retirement accounts? Uh, to, to get this done, to get their, their dream home, so to speak. Um, no, don't know if we're going to have enough time to, to really do anything more than just kind of set up the situation here. But uh, when we come back, we can talk about the, the pitfalls to doing that. Um, I mean, overall, withdrawing funds from a retirement account to sure. fund a home purchase, sure. generally not a not a great idea. So. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, – that was a good setup. Let's uh, take a quick break. We'll be back and talk about that and uh, answer some financial questions. Thanks for listening to Money Talks. Broadcasting from atop the Hensler Financial Building in the heart of Georgia's financial district, Kennesaw, Georgia. This is Money Talks. We're back. You're listening to Money Talks. I'm Troy Harmon here with Casey Smith and Nick Antonucci. And uh, before we left, we were talking about a situation. Let me tell you, though, guys, if you want to have us answer your financial questions, you can give us a call. Uh, you can reach us at 1-855-429-9166. That number uh, plays a recording. You can uh, leave your message, uh, including a question. We'll play it back on the air, 
and then answer your question behind it. If you'd like to talk to a human being, you can do that by calling 770-429-9166, or you can email us at drgene at hensler.com. That's D-R-G-E-N-E at H-E-N-S-S-L-E-R dot com. Uh, you can also uh, look on our website. You might find uh, answers to your questions if they are broad enough. Quite often we've written something and posted it to our website. Uh, there is a plethora, you like that, plethora Very of good. knowledge to be found about your finances on the Hensler.com website. Uh, KC, so we were talking about. Yeah, Blake and Carrie, um, trying to buy a home. They don't have any cash currently. They, they will have cash because, um, Blake's mother passed away, unfortunately. And, uh, the, the good news of that is they've left quite an inheritance. So they'll be able to, to buy the house, um, with some cash, but it's going to be about three months before they can actually access that, that money from the settlement of the estate. Short term bridge is what they're needing. They're looking to, uh, to bridge the gap. They, they've got money in, in retirement accounts. It doesn't say what types of accounts. So we'll kind of touch on all of them here. Um, they have about half a million dollars in retirement accounts. They would like to borrow from their retirement vehicles penalty-free and replenish once the estate settles. So um, borrowing funds from a retirement account other than a 401K, which I'll come, come back to, is is pretty difficult. I mean, th- there's not really a good way to do that from an IRA or a Roth. There is a 60-day rollover provision that they let you – um, basically, uh, once a year, once every 12 months, they let you do an indirect rollover so you could effectively take the money out of an IRA account or Roth IRA account, use that money for whatever. If you put it back in the account within 60 days, then there's no penalty. So you have sort of a short-term option, um, but it's that's pretty risky because if you violate really the 60 risky. days, it's going to be a taxable distribution. Um, subject to the 10% penalty if you're under 59 and a half, and you can't get that money back into the account. Yeah. So uh, that's that's not something I would do unless that's, you're. That's generally generally something I think about often when you see people, even when they borrow from their 401ks. Yeah. The biggest part is putting that money back in there. You, everyone says, "Oh, I'll you know I'll put the money back in there," but yeah. then once it's out and you spend the money and you realize. I actually have to do that. Where are those funds going to come yeah, from? Especially and if it took you years to get yeah, the money exactly. in there. Right, exactly. It's not easy to get that money back in there. No, it, there's it, contribution limits, and you're not going to be able to get the same amount that you borrowed or you took out back into the same type of account. You can save it to an after-tax account, but it's not the same benefit. Just don't as even, a, don't as even tempt yourself. Exactly. Yeah. Sounds like you're saying that's probably not the a good not, option. Not an option that I would recommend in this case. Um, you know, the, they do. IRS does allow you to pull money from an IRA without penalty up to $10,000 for your first-time home purchase, so they could potentially use that. You know, if they each have an IRA, um, they could take, take I guess, 20000 from uh, from their IRA, but that's still taxable. So it's not like you get to avoid the tax on that money. You, you just avoid the 10% penalty. And the uh, tax is going to probably be pushed off to a later date, so maybe that does help them some. Yeah, right? I mean, you could use some of the estate proceeds to, to help cover the tax liability. Still, you can't get that money back in there, as we just talked about, so... Also, not something that I would probably recommend. Um, you know, the Roth IRA is a little more flexible if you've got a Roth. If they, and again, they didn't specify what the accounts were, but you can always take your contributions back out of your Roth, tax and penalty free. Just um, the contributions, just the contributions, not the growth on not, those not the earnings, and not if it was a conversion from a traditional IRA. Um, for those, oh, okay, so it's there's that other caveat. Yeah, exactly. So if you converted, you can't do that. Yeah, I mean, there's a five-year holding period requirement for that. You can take a distributions of growth up to ten thousand, similar to the IRA. 
So there's there's those provisions um, without penalty, um, and then that would potentially not be taxed either if you've had the five year holding period. So there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, what ifs kind of that we don't have enough information to make a real recommendation here. 401k loan is probably the best option, although still not something we're real high on doing. Um, but you can take out um, you know up to 50% of your vested balance or or 50,000 up to $50,000. So if you have a $100,000 IRA, you can take out half of it um, or if it's greater than that, you can you're limited to 50. Yeah. Um, and the IRS does require repayment within 5 years. Um, you can you can extend that if it's for the purchase of a principal residence. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of provisions there that that do actually allow you to get the money back into the account, which is really the important piece of that. So there there are some options. I mean, overall, I would look at withdrawing re- uh, funds from a retirement account as a last resort. I yeah. mean, don't do it unless you absolutely have to. I mean, rather I'm, get a, a short term loan that would just bridge it, until you could pay it, it if off you can. It. Yeah, I mean, that would be um, the the advice I would give to. Uh, to Blake and Carrie here is try go go talk to a bank see what they're if they're, are they willing to work with you they know you've got an inheritance coming if you can you could potentially get an advance on that inheritance some in some cases I've so, never heard of those yeah there there's some options there um, you know those get a little bit complicated it's going to require you to talk to an attorney and, and that's that, never that, fun that's never fun nor cheap <laughs> so you're um, the, absolutely right there that's <laughs> the reason it's really not so much fun yeah so I mean. You know, I would start with the bank probably. Just go go see what they're willing to do. They might uh, be willing to work with you. Um, yeah, you explain your situation sometimes. If uh, you know, if they can get around the the uh, regulatory requirements on it, uh, or you know, if it falls within those regulatory requirements, yeah. then, then uh, or if you, if you can like scrape together enough money to put down the minimum amount to right. just to get in the house, and then you can always refinance once you've got the inheritance. And, and I would assume like a situation like this arises where you've found the house of your dreams, so you have to move quickly because otherwise it's like how long potentially would this take for you to get the inheritance money? Yeah, if, if exactly. The, if the will was... I mean, crafted if, correctly and even if everything is in order, I mean, it could take you know sixty, ninety days easily. Right. I mean, that's that's probably on the short end. Yeah. Uh, I mean, sometimes these things drag out for years. Yeah. <laughs> it just depends on the situation. Um, so, you know, borrowing or pulling money from a retirement account is is never a a great idea, even if it's for your home purchase or whatever. I mean, there's some some flexibility you have, but it's it's not a lot and. Ultimately, you're probably going to put yourself in a worse situation than you than you were. Um, sure. So. All right. Well, uh, well covered. Uh, interesting information. Don't know that I've ever ran across anybody that's in that situation. Um, let's um, take on a few of our listener questions that we have this week. Uh, again, if you need to contact us with your question, uh, you can call us at 770-429-9166. And uh, you can talk to somebody uh, who will get your your question to us. Uh, We've got Bob from Kennesaw who wrote, uh, I've always steered away from automotive stocks, but recently Thor Industries and Oshkosh Corporation came across my screener as buys. Uh, Do you like either of these? Uh, Nick, we've got uh, Thor who makes really more recreational vehicles. Right. Uh, and we've got Oshkosh that manufactures what they they offer to the market is is uh, more of a truly industrial uh, vehicle. They've got um, uh, access equipment, so they're going to have uh, uh, 
They sell, uh, they sell a good bit to the government. Fire and emergency, yeah, they do uh, quite a bit. So basically, well, why Oshkosh did these... sold overalls. Yeah. Oshkosh bagosh. Yeah. That's, that's a different. A little Oshkosh. different. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, what I do think is interesting here is is you're looking at a consumer discretionary and a consumer discretionary stock and an industrial, right? That's Both true. are very cyclical. Yeah. But even within with Thor being a consumer discretionary, I almost blurred on the lines of being an industrial. It is about as cyclical, I think, as you'll get oh, absolutely. for a consumer discretionary well, stock. Well, discretionary so stocks tend to be cyclical They, they do, well. but more so when you're talking about the, the, the four-wheelers and, and, and RVs or yeah, things yeah. like that. It really sounds like, and I know, Casey, you've asked this a couple of times during this particular show, you know, where are we in the business cycle, more yeah. or less. Uh, I think when you look at what has happened to the price of both of these companies, the reason that they look attractive at the moment is because they have sold off a bit. If you look back to uh, the recession of 2009, Thor uh, revenues fell 42%, Oshkosh revenues fell 24%, uh, and then 22% again in 2011. A lot of the government uh, entities didn't hurt as bad in '09 as they did in '11. Uh, a lot of that work was contractual, so um, you know they had things in place that didn't let them get beaten up so bad. But uh, to, to your point, Nick, they are very cyclical businesses. And to be honest with you, I'm not so sure that it's the right time to buy either one of these. I would agree that agree with that. And and as you said, valuation does look pretty attractive. But keep in mind that you know thank. Thankfully, you don't own either of these or haven't owned them for the last year because Thor is down um, 37% year-to-date. You've got Oshkosh down 25%. So, yeah. um, uh, we, seems, I mean, wouldn't Oshkosh be pretty pretty stable given that their a lot of their revenues come from defense contractual, I mean, relative to Thor? Well, 22%, Thor. but... Well, yeah, I mean, just the numbers from the recession, down 42% on Thor, which is really more of a retail kind of right. uh, business, and then 24% from Oshkosh. Yes, absolutely. I mean, the market was down uh, in in uh, 2009 about 37%. From the yeah. very top of the market to the bottom of the market in 2009 uh, was down 52%. So right. uh, you can see that neither one of them got beaten up like that, but, uh, you know, it's it's still – Probably not the best place to park money if you think that we're even remotely close to the top of the market now. I will say that we have uh, recommended Thor uh, in our portfolios in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's something that I personally have actually owned, and uh, it, it's a, a great business. I mean, they, they if you like four-wheelers and outdoor stuff, that's that's who provides a lot of that to the market as well as, uh, you know, um, uh, Recreational vehicles, meaning that uh, campers and uh, camping trailers and and uh, uh, water. Yeah, so they own vehicles. Airstream. They do. Yeah, yep. yeah, they do. So uh, you know, there's a t- there's a, a time and a place to own it. Maybe maybe not right now. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, like I say, pretty well run business, but uh, it, it's already been kicked around. Is probably why it's showing up in your screen. Good deal. Well, uh, let's take a quick break, and when we get back, we will uh, talk a little more about questions that we've gotten in the mail. There is a house in New Orleans. They call the rising sun. Well, we're moving on now. We're moving on now. 
Broadcasting from atop the Hensler Financial Building in the heart of Georgia's financial district, Kennesaw, Georgia, this is Money Talks. We're back. Money Talks. I'm Troy Harmon with Nick Antonucci and Casey Smith. You guys, uh, uh, when we last spoke, we were answering financial questions. If uh, folks have questions they would like us to answer on the air, you can call our question hotline, 1-855-429-9166, where you'll leave a message. We'll play it, uh, play your recording back on the air and answer the question behind it. Uh, Or you can call us, 770-429-9166, talk to a human being, or email a question, which is probably the most common way that we get questions, drgene at hensler.com, H-E-N-S-S. L-E-R.com. Boy, I messed that up. It's Dr. Gene at Hensler.com. You guys just going to sit and let me do that? I was trying to understand what you just said. I didn't even catch it. I did. Well, so was I. I was trying to understand what I was saying, too. You ever been in that spot? Often. Yeah, a little (laughs) little confusing. All right, guys. uh, We got another question here from Don from Druid Hills. He says, I'm likely selling my company to an employee and her family members when I retire. We've been talking about this for years, but it's getting time to start putting some numbers in place. Where do we start? Well, let me let me kick this one to you guys because you guys are both CVAs. Yeah, the old certified, certified valuation, valuation analyst. analyst. Yeah, uh, definitely yeah. start with getting a business valuation. You can have an idea in your mind of what you think that business is worth. The thing you run into oftentimes is, you know, you've put all this time and energy into building this business. You probably think it's worth more. Yeah, than emotion, it actually is. Emotion gets involved, and uh, what you really want to have is a defensible position before you sell uh, or transfer it. However, you might do. Uh, quite often, uh, you know, folks transfer it in an estate, um, and you definitely, if you're going to invite the t- the uh, tax man into your party, you're gonna you're gonna want to make sure that the valuation definitely makes sense. You can't just give it away for a buck. If in fact you've got uh, ten million dollars worth of revenue, so. Um, how does the process work, Nick? Yeah, so the approach that we take, and a lot of times individuals come to us and be like, oh, you know, I, I, I did a multiple method, and, you know, this should trade at seven times, uh, you know, even dollar sales or something like that. Yeah. And that's not necessarily the approach you, you should take. So the process we go through, we, we take three approaches. That's one of them. We do a market approach where we look through a database of um, transactions over the past, let's say, 10-plus years, in a, in a similar industry of a similar size, same geographic area, and we'll apply a multiple to your revenue or EBITDA, whatever it may be, and give you a value based on that. So why do we not just use that? It's very difficult to find it a is, business that totally matches everything about. Yeah, absolutely. What are the odds that there's a, a very similar business out there, same you know geographic area? Um, and even the, if it the, is the, the structure of the business in terms of equity and debt, even you know, sure. can come into play. Well, and the other thing that's always a wild card is how fast has your business been growing? Sure. And um, when you have those issues, then we have a couple of other methods that we use. Yeah. So the least common that we use, assuming the business is a going concern, is the asset-based method. Basically, what that does that takes your balance sheet, it looks at your assets, that's out your liabilities, and you end at a value of 
Yeah, whatever. Almost like a liquidation value. If 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 the business were to no longer exist, what could you get for the business? Yeah. Before we so just that go discount. through those, yeah, before we go through those details, though, we do bring those assets instead of just using the cost. We yeah. do bring them up to a market, market value. value. Absolutely, right? so and inevitably value. there's adjustments that need to be and made. And the debt brought to market value as well. So what would the true payoff be? Uh, so as you were saying, Nick, it really doesn't usually. Uh, turn out to be the best way to value a business? Right. As you mentioned before, it it, dis, it ignores the fact that your company may be growing. Yeah. Or, I mean, in that case, is still a viable operating business. Yeah, Absolutely. You're just selling it for the value of the assets yeah, at that point. It's right. whatever, value, whatever yeah. you yeah. get. And that's like the, fire sale. Yeah. That's the least common method with the, that we use. Finally, the third method we go through and is the most common way that we come to our conclusion of value is the income approach. Right. And you can do it various ways. If the business is growing significantly, what we do is we take uh, historic returns. So we'll get your financial statements, your income sheet, your income statement, and your balance sheet. Um, and we look at what you've got. We make uh, a few assumptions about what uh, does seem reasonable. And then we project those in a pro forma uh, financial statement, both the income statement and your balance sheet, mm-hmm. uh, to uh, 10 years, uh, basically taking growth from where it is today, assuming that it might be at 15%, and we gradually taper that growth off in revenues down to a point where it uh, matches what we would expect long-term uh, inflation. inflation or growth, uh, growth in the gross domestic product uh, of the country. Uh, we discount run, those cash flows. Yeah, we run the financial statements. We uh, we calculate the the cash flow, the free cash flow to equity or free cash flow to the firm, uh, which are the true cash flows of an, an investor would achieve, uh, and then discount those cash flows. And what do we use to discount them? Weighted average cost of capital. So that's going to be dependent on your business, a number of different factors: the size of your business, uh, the financial condition of your business, the industry that you're in. Um, Really, what are rates at? Yeah, you know, on, on the broader it's market. It's simple on the debt side. You know, it's what have you what, been able to borrow? Right. What's your borrowing rate? And the the equity side is a lot more difficult trying to figure out exactly what it should be. Quite often, size, uh, very small companies when they're closely held businesses usually, uh, and and the smaller a business gets, the the higher its cost of equity capital. Sure, and and kind of two things to keep in mind is a lot of people maybe you come to, to to a number based on those valuations or those three methods, but you have to consider discounts. Yes, absolutely. You know, if it, if a couple it, of if, major ones. That, yeah, that the discount for lack of marketability yeah. and discount for lack of control in a business. Yeah. So if you're just selling a small portion that doesn't uh, allow you to control the decisions, uh, operational decisions of the business, think of it like, uh, you know, if I wanted to go out and branch out into a new line of business, if I had to get approval from someone else, I don't have control of the business. Uh, if I wanted to pay a dividend, am, am I? do I have free reign to do right. that? Uh, if your answer is no, you probably don't have control. Uh, quite often, it's just a percentage of the business being purchased that will indicate whether or not uh, you have control. Marketability, how do we determine that one? How do we determine the discount of lack of marketability? Really, our, our go-to method is something called Pluris studies a lot of times, which is basically looks at restricted stock studies. Um, Before they were IPO'd? Correct. After they were IPO'd. Correct. And there's often a, a difference in price, basically liquidity that uh, how quickly uh, an investor can sell its ownership in the business to someone else. So if you've got a stock that's listed on a 
on a uh, financial exchange that trades actively every day. It's very liquid. If not, then it's going to cost you a little bit. You're going to have to discount the price to get that price to move quickly. And this, these can be substantial discounts. They can, yeah. Uh, on the side of control, uh, we've seen them as much as 50%. Mm-hmm. Um, on the side of marketability, 25 25%, 30%. Yeah, yeah. I'd say average about 25%. Yeah, so it's more than just a big equation. And, uh, Don, if you're, if you're really looking, uh, you know, you're interested in having us take a look at some of those things, first of all, you've got to make sure your financial statements are available uh, go out and talk to a valuation analyst. Um, you know, sometimes your accountant might be able to direct you to somebody. But uh, if you wanted us to look at it, it's 770-429-9166. You can call, ask for Nick Antonucci, and uh, he will be able to help you with something like that. Yeah, that's sure definitely will. the first place to start. Get the get the valuation done. That will give you an idea of, of, you know, what you're looking at in terms of what you might be able to get for the company. And then from there, I mean, there's some other considerations selling it to an employee versus somebody that's in your family, uh, you know. So a lot of those things you gotta you gotta take into consideration. The hardest part is gonna be taking the emotion out of it yeah. <laughs> and trying to figure out what it's really worth. Um, yeah. So the valuation is is by far the the first step. Might be a good idea to talk to an attorney too because you're gonna want to make sure that you've got non disclosures in place. If you're handing your financial statements to anybody, especially an employee, you're yep. probably gonna want to deal with that. All right guys, market up or down this week? Up. KC. I'm gonna say down this week. Wow down. Uh, you know me, I'm a broken record. Market's always up in my world. You've been listening to Money Talks. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next week. All material presented is compiled from sources believed to be reliable and current, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed. The contents are intended for general information purposes only. Information provided should not be the sole basis in making any decisions and is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified professional, such as a tax consultant, insurance advisor, or attorney. Although this material is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information with respect to the subject matter, it may not apply in all situations. This is not to be construed as an offer to buy or sell any financial instruments. It is not our intention to state, indicate, or imply in any manner that current or past results are indicative of future profitability or expectations. Portfolio holdings discussed are subject to change. There is no guarantee that in the future these securities will be held in Hensler accounts. As with all investments, there are associated inherent risks. Please obtain and review all financial material carefully before investing. Hensler is not licensed to offer or sell insurance products. This overview is not to be construed as an offer to purchase any insurance products.